In 1 Samuel chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 11, I want to bring to your mind and bring to your attention a passage here in the Bible about a priest named Eli. Eli was a man of God at one time. Eli died in shame. There was a great tragedy that took place in Eli's life. And what we're going to look at this morning is a progression that happened in Eli's life. It happened through what we would call compromise, compromise. But you know, the word compromise is kind of short and compact, but it implicates much. There's, there is a, a, a great implication to the word compromise. You know, you don't just compromise overnight, Amen. You, you don't just turn your back on God overnight. You don't compromise overnight. You don't walk away from God overnight. There's a song by Casting Crowns. It's called It's a Slow Fade. It's a slow fade. It, it just begins by diminishing a little bit, then a little bit more, and a little bit more. It's kind of like, you know, you, uh, the Lord says, you know, if you're, if you're not faithful in little, you won't be faithful in much either. You know, if, if, if you'll steal a pencil from your company you work for, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, you'll steal a fortune from them. Amen. You know, it, it's, it just, that's it. You, you can't say, well, I'm just going to be a pencil stealer. It's a heart issue. When the right opportunity presents itself, you would take anything from anybody if you could get away with it. And so the, the reason that compromise is a short word but has big implications is because it comes to take away from you that which God has for you. Compromise moves you away from God, but it doesn't happen overnight. Like I said, it's a slow, progressive fade. And I want to minister to you this morning about Eli. We're going to look at the example in Eli's life. You know, the Bible says that uh, the things that happen in the Old Testament are for our example, for our reproof. We're going to look at Eli's life here. Now, Eli, like I said, he was a man of God. In fact, he helped out uh, Hannah in a great way. And uh, whenever she was uh, pregnant, she gave her son Samuel to the church, gave her son Samuel to, to the temple. But along the way, Eli lost his place. I know that many of us can't, can't, you know, relate to that. All of us, you know, we've just, we're still going full speed ahead. But Eli, at one time in his life, he was going full speed ahead and something got him off track. Something began to diminish in his life. He wasn't, you know, going like he once did. He didn't have that gumption, that zeal for the house of God like he once had. Something had taken place. And what I want to minister to you this morning is, about how to guard from that and how to recover uh, what the enemy has taken from you. I'm not a big fan of the song, um, going back to the enemy's camp to take back what he's stolen from me. I'm not a big fan of the song, but it's a good, it's a good lesson. <laughs> it's a good lesson. And that's really and truly what we're going to be looking at this morning. So in, in verse number 11 of 1 Samuel chapter 3, now this is a message that the Lord gives to a child, to a child. You see, if, 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 a, if, if somebody is anointed by God and God uses them, but they turn away from God, God will use anybody to get their attention. 
God is not past using a donkey. He's not yet past using a child, amen? And he's not past using folks like me and you. But here he's ministering to this child, and look what he says in verse number 11. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day, see, the Lord is saying, I'm going to do something, and everybody's going to know about it. In that day, I will perform against Eli all the things which I've spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. You know, the Lord works like that, right? The Lord will give you some slack, but when the Lord's ready to deal, it's a high price. Amen? The Lord will give you some slack. The Lord will give you a lot of space. He's long-suffering, but there's a day, there's a day, amen, of reckoning. He is the judge, lest we forget. Look what it says in verse number 13. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrain them not. Now, there's three things that I want to minister to you about that happened in Eli's life and in his family. The, the Lord is, is going to touch all three of these things, and he's going to deal with Eli and his family. The three things that happened to Eli. Number one, the enemy had stolen from Eli. The enemy had stolen from Eli his integrity, had stolen from Eli his desire for God, had stolen from Eli all the benefits that God had given Eli. He was the priest, amen? He had many benefits. He had, he had access to God that other folks didn't have. But because of, because of compromise in his life, he didn't get to access God anymore. There was a day of reckoning that happened in Eli's life. Now, this, this, uh, this happens, like I said, when the enemy has stolen uh, these, these benefits. Second thing that he did is he took away, he took away the desire for Eli to make things right. You see, after a while, after, after you kind of forge trudge, kind of stomp through the mud, put on a mask, put on a front, put on a show for too long, amen, it kind of becomes status quo. You see, status quo Christianity is not going to change anybody's life. Status quo Christianity will not change anybody's life. It is only when we live with a zeal for God and we allow the Holy Spirit to minister to others through us. But in order for that to happen, how many of you know we get ministered to along the way? Amen. How many of you have ever ministered? You know that it's a great blessing, amen? Every time you minister to others, God ministers to you. Every time I preach, God preaches to me, amen? Even right now, God preaches to me as I'm preaching. It's an amazing thing that happens. But here you see that the enemy had taken away from Eli this desire to get right with him. Eli, well, like I said, was once a man of God. He was the priest of God's temple. 
But somewhere along the line, the desire to get right left. That happened by the hand of the enemy. That happened by the hand of the enemy. And, and let's not boast about it because it could happen to any one of us. It could happen to any one of us. You can look around the room and think about people that once were in church that aren't in church anymore. What has happened? They don't have a desire anymore. The hunger's gone. Amen? Try to, try to feed a kid, you know, that's not hungry. It's not going to happen. And it's the same way with us. There's a hunger for God that, that has got to be in our soul, an appetite for God, a desire for him. And this desire had left Eli. He had settled in. He had settled in and decided to coast, mail it in, somewhere along the line. And God dealt with him. God dealt with him. Look, he said that, he said in verse number 13, I told him I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. He knew there was an issue, but he was unwilling to resolve it. If anybody in the whole land knew how to resolve an issue with God, it was this man. But yet he didn't do it. Many of you can relate to that. You know, let's not, let's not just cast our stones at Eli. Many times God deals with us and pleads with us to get on our knees, go to altars, confess things to him, and yet we just don't. It's uncomfortable. Don't you think Eli wished he would have gotten himself a little bit uncomfortable before everything changed in his life? His day of calamity, his day of reckoning, it said everybody's going to know about it. It'll tingle in everybody's ear. Everybody's going to know about what's about to happen. We even talk about it sometimes. When God writes over the doorpost of the church, the glory is departed. Ichabod. When the, when the Ark of the Covenant is gone, the presence of God is gone. Everybody knew when the temple was when, when the ark left the temple. Everybody knew when the temple was vacant, right? And how many of you are willing to say this? A lot of people are putting on a show, putting on a front, and there's no ark in the temple. There's no presence in the temple. There's no fire on the altar. Now, one, one minister I heard, he said, an empty an, an empty altar has no fire. An empty altar has no fire. You wonder why there's no fire? You wonder why there's no presence of God? You wonder why there's not a, a, a spirit of victory about you? An empty altar receives no fire. You want to you be combustible? You want to see God move in your life? You want to see the fire of God fall on you and on your loved ones and on your friends? Bring yourself to God. That's what it says in Romans, right? Romans 12, present ourselves a living sacrifice to God. You want to see God move in your life? Give yourself to God. But an empty altar receives no fire. So if you withhold yourself from God, you cannot expect the fire of God to fall in your life. You're going to be coasting just like Eli did. And Eli knew there was iniquity. He knew it. 
And some of us, we have this gnawing on the inside where we know what that issue is, amen? Some of us, you know, you got like a shotgun issue. You got many things. We got like 15 things we know God's touching and dealing with us on. But some of us, it's that one. It's that one. And some of us are so far dull... Some of us are so far dull, we can't even hear God say what the one thing is. We just know there's something wrong. Well, this morning, I believe God wants to deal with us in this area. I want to show you that this is not uncommon. In fact, this is common to every person. If you feel this way or this message is beginning to hit you in your heart, I want you to know that every single person alive, every single sheep of God's pasture deals with the same issue. I want to show you this from John chapter number 10. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and let's go over there to John chapter number 10 real quick. Now, John chapter number 10 is an amazing passage. If you, put, if you wanted to do a summary of chapters, John chapter number 10 would be the good shepherd, I believe. That's how I would summarize it. The good shepherd. Who's the good shepherd? It's Jesus. All throughout, this, all throughout this chapter, Jesus is telling us he's the good shepherd. It's an amazing thing because sometimes we need to be reminded of this. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we're his sheep. Sometimes we feel like we're out there on our own. Sometimes we feel like nobody's watching, nobody cares. We feel like we're making our own choices, our own decisions. But the Bible says in Psalm that we're the sheep of his pasture. So Jesus, when he comes here in John chapter number 10 and he says, I'm the good shepherd, he's playing on what God spoke in the book of Psalm when he said that we're the sheep of his pasture. Here's something amazing about sheep. If you leave sheep by themselves, they will get themselves in problems. They will run off cliffs. They will get themselves stuck in the muds, get themselves stuck in fences. They're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Sheep are just not. And that's what God calls us. That should make us feel really good, huh? Amen. But it's the truth. If we're honest with God, we know that if we're left to our own devices, we will run the car off the road. Amen. Not nine out of ten times. Ten out of ten times. If God leaves you to yourself, you're going to get yourself stuck in a bind. And the sooner we realize that, the quicker we're going to get on the road to recovery. The sooner we realize we need God and we can't do it ourselves, that's the first step on the road to recovery. I'm a sheep. I have the mind of a sheep. You see, sheep are amazing creatures. Like I said, they will walk off a cliff not even considering the fall at the bottom. Just walk, just get stuck, fall, go into dangerous places. That's what we do. 
That is exactly what we do when we're not following the good shepherd. When we're not following the good shepherd, that is exactly what we do. Now, with that thought in mind, and we all recognize, and, and don't look to the left or to the right, you know. Let's think about our own sheep selves. With that in mind, think about this. The shepherd is there for our benefit. The shepherd is there because he loves us. Amen? Amen? If he didn't love us, he would leave us out there by ourselves, wouldn't he? Amen? Amen. But I want you to know that God loves you. And if you'll listen to the voice of the shepherd, he'll guide you to green pastures and still waters, even today, even today. You know, this world is a world of chaos. This world is a world of heartbreak. It'll eat you up and it'll spit you out. People will, people will use you until they're done with you and they will cast you aside like a piece of trash. That's what this world offers people. But God loves you. And God will not treat you like trash. God will bring restoration into your life. God will give you a reason for living. God will give you hope in a hopeless situation. And God will bring peace in the middle of chaos. And here in John chapter number 10, the good shepherd's going to explain something that's very foundational in order to understand how to, to, how to have the breach repaired in our lives. This is a very foundational passage. In fact, Jesus said in Isaiah that he is the repairer of the breach. And this is how he does it. This is, the, this is the progression of it. Look in John chapter number 10 at verse number 1. said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. First two verses. What we have before us is two things. Well, three. There's sheep, there's robber, and there's a shepherd. This morning, you're one of the three. I'll give you a clue. You're the sheep. <laughs> I'll give you another clue. There's a shepherd. His name's Jesus. But then there's also a robber. That's the devil. And every single sheep has a choice between the shepherd and the robber. You see, the shepherd comes in one way. The thief or the robber comes in a different way. Amen? Do you see that? You see, he said that the, the, the thief and the robber come in one way, but the good shepherd, he comes in a different way. You see, when Jesus deals with you, he deals with you through conviction. The Holy Spirit will draw you closer to God. If it's the Holy Spirit dealing with you, he's pulling you to God, sometimes dragging us. 
But if it's the robber or the thief, he's coming a different way at you. A robber or a thief is going to come at you and tell you, you've blown it. You've blown it. You've done too much wrong. You, you've told God 15 times you were going to get it right, and you keep lying to God. Now just get on out of here. That's the robber's voice. You see, the sheep have two different voices coming at them. The voice of the shepherd, which is drawing them into reconciliation, restoration, and repairing of the breach. And then the voice of the robber, which is telling you, you've blown it. You're not good enough. Get away. That's the voice of condemnation. And every single sheep hears this. You think, oh, you know, I don't know about all that. Every sheep hears it. The voice of the shepherd and the voice of the robber, the thief. Now, how do we know? How do we know what the enemy wants to do? Well, God tells us right here in this chapter. And there's three progressive steps that the enemy does in our lives. I want to share those three steps with you. Look in John chapter number 10, verse 10. Jesus says, the thief or the robber, there's three things that happen. Watch this. The thief comes not, but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's right. Steal, kill, and destroy. Here's something that's interesting. This is a progression. The enemy, when he comes at you, he's going to come at you, and it's going to unfold in three progressive steps. Now, I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about progressives. I'm talking about the way that the enemy progresses and encroaches on you. Look at this. Steal, kill, and destroy. This is how you see the hand of the enemy. Number one, just like with Eli's life, the enemy comes to steal from you that which God has given you. He comes to steal the benefits and the blessings that God has afforded you in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says that all the spiritual blessings of, of God are in Christ Jesus. Yes and amen. All of them have been given to you in Jesus. Now, what are they? Peace, joy, contentment, fullness, strength, sound mind. Come on now. All the benefits and the blessings of God are in Jesus, and they're available to you, but the enemy comes to steal from you that which God has given you. You see, Jesus said, I come to give you peace, right? But do you know that the enemy will take your peace from you? Amen. Jesus came to give you peace, he is our provider. He is our healer. He is our shepherd. He is our high priest. He is our righteousness, right? But the enemy will tell you otherwise. The enemy will get you worrying about how you're going to eat tonight. The enemy will get you worried about how you're going to pay Swebco next week. The enemy will get you worried about how you're going to do this and how you're going to do that, and you will have no peace. None. He comes 
to steal that which God has given you in Jesus. It comes to take away the blessings. Now, you know, a lot of times people think about blessings and they're thinking in terms of physical things, but the, but the blessings it says in Ephesians 1, 3 and in uh, 2 Corinthians 1 are spiritual blessings, spiritual blessings, okay? The things that God has given you the enemy wants to take. The things God's given you, the enemy wants to take. Now, it, and first thing that we've got to do is realize that's what he does. Realize that's what he does. He comes to steal. Here's how you know. I was sharing this earlier. You ever had those, those times in your life when you were singing and didn't mean it? How many of you have sung a song and didn't mean it? Here's my example. And I'm not, I'm not imitating worship this morning. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Couldn't convince me on that one. Come on now. Joy is a spiritual blessing. Joy is not contingent on physical things. Joy is a spiritual blessing. It is a state of being in Jesus. And if you don't have joy, you can't blame it on your physical conditions. Come on. You don't have to be joyous about things going wrong, but you can have joy in the middle of things going wrong. It doesn't matter the condition of things in life, you can still have joy and peace and contentment and strength and fullness. You can still have a sound mind when chaos is breaking out all around you. These are the spiritual blessings of God. And these are the very things that the enemy tries to remove from you. And how does he do that? He tries to get you to focus on what you don't have tries to get you to focus on what others have and you don't. tries to get you to focus on how you've blown it in the past and you'll never get where you should be. And if you wouldn't have blown it in the past, you'd be past where you are now. All kinds of lies and they all have one theme and it is to condemn you and pull you away from going where you need to go with God. Amen. So the spiritual blessings of God are available, but the enemy comes to steal them. All the blessings, all the benefits, peace, love, love. Do you know that love comes from God? Amen. That's what Romans chapter 5 says. Love comes from God. It, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But yet many of us are unloving. Many of us got our nose so stuck up in the air, can't give anybody the time of day. When they need love, they need somebody to just stop and listen. They need somebody to have compassion. Amen? You know, that's one of the most amazing things about Jesus' ministry is he was compassionate. He was compassionate. Look at how many times in the Bible it says he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. What does that mean? 
His heart broke for them. His heart broke for them. Many of us, we're so, you know, we're so rigid and, and we can't be bothered by anybody. God can't use us. See, the enemy comes to steal in many different ways. You know that you can get too busy about the wrong thing? You know you can get too busy about the wrong thing? If, if God wants to minister to somebody through you, the enemy will try to get you busy tying your shoelaces. Try to get you busy looking at the birds. Try to get you busy wondering about who's going to win the game tonight. When right in front of your eyes is a hurting soul. And you've got what they need. You see, the enemy comes to steal that which God has given. The blessings and the benefits of God. The second thing he does is he kills. Steal, kill, and destroy, right? Steal, kill, and destroy, those three things. So he steals that which God's given, the blessings of God. Second thing, this is a progression. It goes downhill from there. <laughs> it can't go much further. Yeah, it can. It can go. How many of y'all know things can go off the rail real quick? Amen. Well, once you, and you know, once the enemy begins to steal from you, you start faking it because everybody else is still doing good. Everybody else is still, you know, got a smile on their face, but you're empty on the inside. Go to church anyways, smile anyways, put the mask on anyways. It's a front. It's a fake. It's a fraud. But we do it anyways. And if you do it for very long, your desire for God will diminish. Because look, you're not lying to God. If you put a smile on when there's not one in here, you're not lying to God. God's not impressed. And, and nobody else is going to stand next to you on judgment day, so it doesn't matter what they think. So who are we fooling? We're fooling our own conscience. We're fooling our own conscience. What we're doing is we're searing our conscience. We're damaging our conscience by putting on a fake front. And if we do it for very long, we'll get used to it. That's what we do. You know we're sheep, right? We will adapt to bad situations. We'll say, well, that's just the way it is, I guess, for me. I guess I just got to live like this. Everybody else can have joy. Everybody else can have peace. Everybody else can have a sound mind. But I'm just going to sit here and worry about everything. I'm going to be mad at everybody. But I'm going to smile about it because I'm at church. The enemy has stolen from you. And you're in the process of the second step, which is kill. The enemy's second step is to kill your desire for God. How do I know where I'm at on this progression? Do you have the same desire that you once did? What do I mean by a desire for God? Well, Here's a great indicator. How's your prayer life? And is your Bible worn out? 
Because these two indicators will tell you much about how much you desire God and how much you don't. If your desire is to get into the Word of God, it's a great indicator your desire is God. And if you pray, it's a great indicator that you desire God. You see, um, D.L. Moody, he once said that sin will keep you from the Bible, but the Bible will keep you from sin. Love that. Love that. You see, if you've got issues in your life, you're going to set that Bible on the nightstand, and it's going to start collecting dust, and instead of wearing it out, you're going to have to dust it with a little duster just to make it presentable, right? But here's the key thing. The enemy's plan is to crush your desire for God. So the progression goes, he removes the benefits of God, and you have to fake it. You either have to go get right with God or fake it at that point. Let me say it like this. First goes the benefits, then goes the fire. Because, see, when the benefits are removed, when the peace of God leaves, when a sound mind leaves, when the, when the spiritual blessings of God leave and you don't run to God, your fire will run out. The desire will run out. See, when, when, when things aren't right, when we're not where we need to be, when, when we're missing those things in our life, those are the times when we've got to go to God, not from God. Remember, the enemy is trying to keep you from God, but the good shepherd is trying to bring restoration to you. You're listening to one of the two. And when you're missing those things from God and you're pulling back from God, the fire is going to diminish. So number one, the, the, the robber steals your benefits, your blessings, the things that God's afforded you. Look, how many of y'all know that it is an amazing thing to see somebody have God's peace in the middle of chaos? How many of you have seen a saint of God have peace while their life was falling apart? Some of y'all been there before. Some of y'all know what it used to be like to have God's peace. When you get that phone call, the one phone call that you dreaded in all your life and you get it, but yet an overwhelming peace comes on you. You didn't buy that peace. You didn't get that peace from a DVD. That came from God. That came because you knew God. Amen? But see, when you don't have that, you, you put on a front. You put on a front for too long, you'll begin to fake it. See, here's the thing about faking it. Here's the thing about, about that desire. Here's the thing about it. If you allow yourself to stay in that condition, you'll get used to it. I was listening to a, uh, a, a minister talk about worldly music one time. Uh, they call it secular music. I don't know. Y'all may or may listen to that stuff still. I don't know. But he was talking about secular music, and he said, here's the thing. He said, it's dangerous. 
it's dangerous. And if you allow that stuff to get into your spirit, then you'll get used to it. Amen? You'll get used to it. Then you'll start singing along with them. Singing things you shouldn't be singing. Thinking things you shouldn't be thinking. But he was talking about how dangerous it is because we're so adaptive as people. We will adapt to a harsh situation. I, I, so many times, it, it just, it defies logic how many times I've seen people get used to situations. I've seen people get used to being homeless. They'll get used to it. And then God will bring restoration in their life and they'll desire to get back out of it. But sometimes we will allow ourselves to get adapted to our situation, to our surroundings. Amen? Amen. And not every, not every situation is like that, but so many times people will, will adapt to a place God never intended you to stay. And then the last thing is destroy. So he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Here's the thing. Steal your benefits, kill your desire, and destroy these things right here. Your walk. Your walk, your family, your friends, your church, your nation. Let's think about these real quick. So the enemy comes to steal your benefits, destroy, kill your desire, and destroy your walk with God. Well, where you're no longer serving God. You follow these progressive steps down, you won't serve God anymore. And it's not God's fault. Amen. Jesus is a good shepherd. And watch this, comes to steal your, he comes to destroy your walk with God. Do you know that God's desire is to use you? Yeah. Sometimes God's looking for people. He's looking all throughout the earth, to and fro, who can he use? But many of us are too full of the world. We're too quick to be able to tell God who won American Idol or who won the ball game, but not quick enough to tell him what Micah chapter 5 says. Too quick to tell God about all our issues and not too quick to tell God about how good he is. Oh God, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. You tell him, he's not going to get weary with you. But when you're done, start telling God how good he is. If you're going to sit there and have God, you know, bend his ear and tell him about all your woes, at least tell God how good he is at the end of it. Woe is me. Woe is me. Come on. God's still good. Even in our worst days, God is good you see I was, I was making fun of that song I've got the joy 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 
down in my heart. That's how many people sing things. They fake it. But God's desire is to put joy in you no matter when you're by yourself, in good health or bad health, in prison or in the mansion. Still have joy, peace, contentment, strength, fullness. God will minister these things because he loves you. So the enemy comes to steal your, to, to steal your benefits, kill your desire, and destroy your walk. Secondly, your family. You know that the enemy's plan is to destroy families? If he can separate a husband and a wife, he'll do it. Amen. Did you know that the divorce rate in the church is the same as the world? Did you also know that the divorce rate in ministry is the same as in the world? How is this possible? How is it possible? I thought when you were walking with God, when you were in the church, even in ministry, you were protected from... No, the thief comes for all of us. Amen. And if we listen to the thief, we'll see things stolen, desires killed, and marriages destroyed. This is still kill and destroy. There's so many, you know, I'm a product of divorce. But there's so many setbacks for, for children of divorce. The, 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 the statistics on children that come out of divorced homes are astonishing. They're at a disadvantage. It's just statistically. But in God, it's not that way. You put, a, you put a child coming out of the worst environment, but you raise them, come on, with God, it doesn't matter what their past was. God's given them a new future. And God gives you a new future. Regardless of your past, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of the hardships, you get somebody in God, they've got a new future. That's what God says. He gives us a new hope. He gives us a new future. Old things pass away. Behold, all things are become new in Jesus. You don't have to live a life that is predicted by your past. You can go to God and get set free and get a new future. So he comes to steal Kill, destroy your walk, your marriage. You know he comes to, to destroy children. Destroy innocence. Look at what's going on in the lives of children today. I saw an example of a, a, a husband and a wife. They're in court right now, I think. But the, 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 the wife is trying to chemically castrate her son because she wants him to be transgender. And the dad is fighting for the son's right to remain a boy. What kind of generation do we live in? The child is five years old. You see, this world is set to destroy the innocence of children, to destroy the lives of children. 
And all we got to do is talk about American Idol and who won the football game. Can't get a church to pray. You have a, a, an eating or a concert, church is full. You have a prayer night. That's when things change is when people pray. But you see, the enemy's desire is to destroy a whole generation of children, and we're watching it unfold in our lifetime. Children don't know right from wrong, much less boy from girl. Now, I always say this, but I'm going to say it again. Everybody's mad because kids can't pray in school. They don't start the day with prayer anymore. Well, do you? I believe God will restore prayer in the schoolhouse when the people restore prayer in God's house. When we become a people of prayer, they'll be a people of prayer. We can't expect the world to change if we're not. If we're content with the way the boat's sinking, you think the world's going to care? When, when the church is tired of, of the enemy destroying lives, things might change. You see where we are in this progression? That, why else do you think that people got to have strobe lights and smoke machines and dancing bears on the platform behind the preacher? It's to entertain the sheep or the goats, your choice. Have a carnival atmosphere. So the enemy is all the way into this progression. He's stolen from the church all the benefits and blessings. He's killed the desire to get right because our desire now is for dancing bears and smoke machines and strobe lights. And now we're at this point where the enemy's just running roughshod and destroying marriages, destroying our walk with God, destroying our children, destroying our schools, destroying our churches. Destroying our churches. You know, if the enemy can get a hold of somebody and get in their ear and get them to start gossiping or complaining, he can destroy a church. Did you know brother so-and-so did so? Did you hear what sister so-and-so did? You get somebody to start talking, yakking, gossiping, it'll destroy a church. Amen? Here's another thing that'll destroy a church is, is when people forsake the assembling of themselves together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. You know, that if, if, if everybody stays home from church and only one or two come, you know what it's going to do? It's going to discourage them. Well, why should we come if nobody else is coming? We're the only, we're the, we're the only ones that are crazy. We could stay home and sleep and cut our grass. But you see, God's people gather together to worship him Amen? To hear his word preached 
and to encourage one another and to get filled up so that we can go out and minister to others. You see, church is not about just having a service from 1045 to 145. It's about, it's about getting filled up, ministering to one another, loving one another, praying with one another, and then taking what we have to the world. It becomes a fabric, a family, that when I'm, when I'm down, when I'm struggling, you lift one another up, you pray for one another, you love one another, you encourage one another, you bear up, the burdens of one another. That's what a church family does. See, if the enemy can destroy your walk and your family and your children and the churches, he will, and the nation. We don't even have to look at that, really, to see that our nation's at a crossroads in every manner of speaking, it's at a crossroads. There's not one manner of speaking that our nation is not at a crossroads right now. But our nation is not our sanctification. When we go to heaven, we're not going to say that we're Americans. In fact, it may go against you. <laughs> to be honest, when we spend more money on dog food than missions, it may just go against us. That came from Leonard Ravenhill, by the way. Always got to throw in a Leonard Ravenhill quote. We spend more money on dog food when people are starving in the world. Problem. There's a problem. Well, like I said, our nation's at a crossroad, but our nation's not our sanctification. But I'll say this. Our nation has been at a crossroads many times. And many times, God's people sought his face. And God brought healing to the nation through the church. Can God do it again? God don't grow gray hairs. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't have to take naps. He's still just as much God as he's ever been. But he's waiting on us to be the church that we have been. He's waiting on us to get back to our roots. He's waiting on us to get back to those simplicity of the faith that he once gave to the saints. He's waiting on us to get back to the foundations of our faith. Let me tell you one other thing. Look in Luke chapter 12 and verse 39. Luke 12 and verse 39. 
Look what it says. And this know, Luke 12, verse 39. And this know, that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, not have suffered the house to be broken through. See, the thief, the robber, he comes for everybody. If you knew the hour he was coming, you would watch. But how many of you know the thief don't come in the front door? Amen. It comes in a way you're not looking and a time you're not looking. Thief's going to come while you're sleeping or while you're not home. Now we're talking about your soul. See, God calls us to set a watch over our souls. But many of us can't get up off the nap mat. We're allowing the enemy to run roughshod over our souls. If you knew what hour the enemy was coming, you would watch. But the fact is, you don't know. So what are you going to do? One word, watch. Watch. See, the enemy is always going around looking for a chink in the armor, always going around looking for a door unlocked, always going around looking for a crack in the armor. You've heard the saying that the enemy's looking for a toehold, foothold, Just a little crack he can get in. And then he's going to begin stealing the benefits and in inflicting this progression of stealing, killing, and destroying. And if you're not watching, if you're not watching, if you're not watching, it'll happen. And I'm going to close with verse number 40. It says, Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. Now, I'm talking about your present condition with God. But I want you to think about this too. Jesus is going to come in an hour when nobody's looking. Jesus calls himself a thief. He'll come as a thief. As a thief. When nobody's looking, he's going to come. When everybody's busy watching ball games and shopping and going to the mall and painting this and cutting this and trimming that and gossiping about this and not doing that, when everybody's busy and gallivanting and doing all this stuff, Jesus is going to come. He's going to come when everybody thinks he's not going to come. I've often heard it said that if anybody makes a prediction on the day Jesus is coming back, you can guarantee it's not going to be that day. Because no man knows the day or the hour. You can know the season, but you may not know the day or the hour. That's not given to you to know. 
So, what do we do? We watch. We wait. And here's what I want to close on. I want you to monitor the voice that's speaking into your life. It's either the voice of the shepherd or the voice of the robber. The robber comes to condemn you and pull you away from God. The shepherd is coming to lead you to green pastures, to still waters, to a place of refuge, restoration, hope, future, and the goodness of God. This morning, I pray that you're listening to the shepherd. This morning, I pray you're listening to the shepherd. I know you're hearing both, but I pray you're listening to the shepherd. You're hearing both because everybody hears both. Everybody hears both. Everybody hears quit. Everybody hears you're not doing it right. Everybody hears you've blown it. Everybody hears why try. Everybody hears nobody likes you. Everybody hears all that stuff. But the good shepherd also speaks. Whose voice are you listening to? Amen.